Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you've chosen to press play on this podcast today. My name is Johnny and I'm part of the teaching team here at the Forge. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope that today's talk encourages you. Hey, we all have a favorite superhero. There's something powerful about the stories of people using their power for justice, sacrifice, redemption, and putting the world back together. Overcoming darkness and bringing hope to a broken planet. These stories are embedded deep within us for a reason, because they are in some way true. I mean, not historically or factually, but because they're stories and they have an essence or a theme about them that tends to point to a greater story, a greater hero, a greater narrative that really does exist. You see, whilst you can scroll through a list of the most recent blockbuster superheroes on whatever streaming service you tend to choose, Almost 2,000 years ago, there was a document with a different set, a different list of ancient heroes that we're going to look at, who all really did live out some of the superhero traits that we do all know and love today. And some traits that perhaps we do also need to re-familiarize ourselves with now. You know, my favorite superhero is Captain America. It's this guy. If you're not a fan of comic books or superheroes, don't worry, I'm not going to turn this into Comic Con and there's going to be enough people who know what they're talking about who are going to complain as it is. But here are three things I love about Captain America. I love that he's probably one of the few characters that I know of, uh, if you know the story, where his character precedes his power. Before he was super strong, before he had any of his powers, he was of good character. The second thing I love about Captain America, he's the, he was the first of the Avengers, and first is always best. He was the first of this group that would come together and save the world. And finally, in the movies at least, he can kick a bad guy six feet into the air. Now, me and my friend, when we were watching one of the Captain America movies, saw this and we both winced at the same time as he kicks this guy off the boat. And so now whenever bad uh, something bad happens, uh, we'll both look at each other and say, it could be worse, you could always be kicked by Captain America. But 2,000 years ago, if you were to ask someone, who were the heroes and what were the stories that they told as bedtime stories for their children? They might not talk about mythical superhumans with super strength or suits. As much as they would talk about descendants from history who would truly lay down the foundation for who they could be and how they would understand the world in their day. And for me, if there had to be an equivalent of Captain America in this ancient world, if there was another story of someone who showed character before they gained any power, If they had a story of someone who who was the first in a line of legends to come, it would be this guy. It would be Abraham. Now, granted, there weren't any stories of Abraham kicking anyone six feet in the air, and he couldn't fly, and he wasn't noticeably strong or anything like that. But this was a man who would be known for thousands and thousands of years to come after his life ended because of the hero that he was. And here's how I know. A couple of thousand years ago, which is still at least another couple of thousand years off Abraham's time, people were writing about him. Now, they didn't have comic books back in that time, uh, but as a Christian faith started to grow out of what was previously a Jewish community, a document was written that had a list of heroes. And the idea was that for whoever wrote this, this document was so that people who made that transition of faith that the stories they were told as children 
were not in contradiction into their new faith in Jesus, but in fact, they actually contributed into that new faith. And in this ancient list that was compiled in a book found in the New Testament called Hebrews, this is what it says about our hero, Abraham. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home, leave his set of values, leave his culture, leave his storyline, leave the gods that he grew up with and go into another land that God would give him as his inheritance, a new land, a new storyline, a new way of living. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land, God promised him. He lived there by faith for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And he did, and uh, so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was so confidently looking forward to a city with an eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Now, you might be asking, really, is this why this guy was remembered? Because he went on a camping holiday, because he used to live in tents, because he looked forward to a city that God was building? Well, actually, there's way more to understand than that. And in order to understand the significance of that, we need to understand some things around Abraham. I mean, first of all, we need to understand that Abraham's story is found in a book called Genesis. And it was perhaps the, if not one of, oldest, the oldest historical narratives we have in the Bible. Now, not only that, but Abraham wasn't just the starting point to the Christian tradition, but in fact, he was also the starting point to perhaps the three major religions that we would have um, in the world today. It would be Abraham that the uh, Islamic tradition would look back on. It would be Abraham that the Jewish tradition that would look back on as the starting point to their faith. And he would even be the person that in many ways, the Christian tradition would look back on as the starting point in some capacity to their faith. Finally, we need to understand this, that his story tells of a God wanting to come into partnership with human beings with the mission of putting a broken world back together. Now, this is extraordinary. You see, at the preface of God's story, describing the creation and the foundation of the earth, and after a story of how brokenness and ultimately sin entered and, and organized itself in the earth, and it started to grow, God had a mission of putting the world back together. And it takes shape, and he really does something extraordinary. He calls out people to partner with him in putting the world back together. And so God does this by picking out his first avenger, his first hero, his father of nations, Abraham. You see, this is what the Lord said to Abraham. This is found in Genesis. Leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go into a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Now, it's interesting that in this part here, uh, God gives three different promises that we now know are fulfilled today. I will make you into a great nation. Now, the uh, Islamic religion would say we're that great nation. The Jewish religion would say we're that great nation. Uh, the Christian faith would say that we're that great nation. There is no argument around that Abraham would ultimately become a great nation. Who that great nation is up for debate, and you can have your own opinion, but this really isn't up for debate. Abraham really did become a great nation. And so it goes on. I will bless you and make you famous. Now, quick poll in your homes right now. Put your hands up. If you knew who Abraham was before I started this talk, put your hand up. You see, Abraham really was made famous. 4,000 odd years after his existence, people are still talking about him. 
and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt, some promise. And all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And so this is found in the first book of uh, what's now compiled as the Old Testament. But it begs the question, because whilst these promises came true, and whilst there are hundreds of stories or things that we could and people have talked about in church when it comes to Abraham, I want to ask just one question. What is it that caused God to offer this promise of partnership? What was it about Abraham's character that caused God to offer a promise of partnership? What was it about Abraham that God would want to partner with him in putting the world back together? What spider bite, what radioactive exposure or expensive iron suit would give Abraham what it would take for God to come to him and say, you are the one in the barbaric nature of this ancient world that I want to work through? Well, I think there are a few things, but I want to focus on one story that I think exposes something of who this man was, something about his character that made him who he really was. And I think it's also something that I think we can all learn from too. It comes in a story just after this promise that God gave Abraham, but before that promise actually takes place. It's at a point where Abraham has gained a fairly large community and household uh, and a fair bit of wealth and, and uh, a number of servants. In fact, at this point in Abraham's life, he's probably quite old and it appears like this promise might not even happen. But we find Abraham sitting in his tent when some messengers arrive sent by God who are going to tell Abraham about more specifically how God is going to come through on a promise of partnership. This is what we read. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest part of the day. Now, just as a heads up, this comes at a point in Abraham's life just after he's been circumcised, which we're not going to get into, but you can understand that Abraham, there was a reason why he was sitting at the heat, hottest part of the day in his tent. He was probably resting, and I'll leave that to your own imaginations, but it goes on. He looked up and he noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them. He bowed low to the ground. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while, rest in the shade for this tree, uh, under this tree whilst water is brought to wash your feet. Now, this would have been a servant's role, a kind of a cultural deal. It might give you ideas of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, but the equivalent of this is if a stranger stopped you whilst you were on a long journey journey and invited you in and, uh, and offered to feed you. And whilst they were to feed you, they were going to be cleaning your car or servicing and giving your car a full MOT whilst you rested. And so it goes on. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, because who wouldn't agree to that? And so it goes on. Do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, be quick, quickly. This is important. Get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough and bake some bread. Now this is incredibly significant because three isn't a large number to us, but three large measures would have been like 60 pounds of flour. 
60 pounds. Now, conservatively speaking, that's like 80 loaves of bread. This was going to be an extravagant measure of hospitality, going above and beyond. This was a man who was going to hurry. In fact, in Jewish tradition, they even talk about how this would have been a miraculous moment where they were just going to make an extravagant and abundant amount of bread for these three visitors. This was going to be an extravagant expression of hospitality. But this is what it goes on to say. Then Abraham ran out. This would have almost been like an embarrassing um, act for Abraham to do is he would run out uh, to the herd to choose a tender calf. This was important. This was something where he was wanting to show as much possible welcome, hospitality to these people, a tender calf and gave it to his servant who would quickly prepare it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk uh, and roasted the meat and he served it to the men. I like to think this is the first ever biblical kebab. But this is significant. This is the type of person God wants to invite into partnership. Someone who would show radical hospitality, the expense of themselves to those who have no place to go. If you offer yourself to others with radical hospitality, then the environments that you operate from will become that where the miraculous can take place. You will find yourself in a story like that of a child's comic book worth telling. But if you sacrifice invitation and extravagance and welcome and hospitality for the sake of insecurity and reluctance, then the power that God invites you into, the opportunity that God invites you into, the story will be lost. And Abraham was the first person God invites into partnership to put the world back together. And at the very core of Abraham is a trait that would allow him to represent the story that God is inviting his people into. One of extravagant hospitality. Now listen, hospitality for us is often the idea of inviting people over and displaying something quite nice. We think of this, we think of displays of hospitality. We like the idea of displaying the best we have so that people might think the best of us. Now that might not be true for everyone, but I know and I know stories of when I've gone around people's house and they've offered displays of hospitality. They've given me the tour of the house, they've shown me their nice silverware or whatever it is, they've shown me the nicest part of what they can offer and shown me. But it's odd because whilst that is a good thing and a nice thing and, and an important thing and, and it is a part of showing good hospitality, showing your best, there was almost an element of it where they were displaying it in order that I could have a better idea of who they were. And actually it left something kind of uncomfortable for me. It kind of let, left me feel, feeling a little bit alienated. I think for some of us, what we need to do instead of displaying hospitality is offering a hospitality or maybe offering an embrace of hospitality. Now this is slightly different. But I think what this does is this opens up the gift of hospitality that God wanted to put within his people into all of us. Hospitality ultimately creates a space where something might grow that goes beyond ourselves, where it goes beyond our insecurities, where it causes us to run around and hurry so that people might look at us and think maybe they're a little bit weird or a little bit odd, or maybe they're a little bit extravagant but there is going to be something about them that offers something more. Instead of displaying hospitality in order that people might think better of us, we want to offer hospitality in order that people might think that we think better of them. It's a subtle difference, but an important one. 
Just last week, a friend was uh, in the area from Bournemouth. Now, uh, I have ties with Bournemouth and friends in Bournemouth. And so it was really cool that he was in the area and he was invited as one of 30 people to a fairly local wed wedding uh, near Rendlesham Forest. And so uh, we sort of exchanged messages and said it would be great to catch up. And so after the wedding, the next day, uh, I would drive past and uh, we'd both drive to uh, Rendlesham Forest and we'd walk together and have a catch up. And so as I went into the venue where this wedding was held, uh, there were still people who were staying over and spending time uh, with the family and people were effectively just having the day there to relax and rest after the celebrations uh, the day before. And as I walked in, it was kind of a bit awkward because I didn't know anyone and I couldn't see my friend. But someone approached me and they said, would you like a burger or a sausage? And I was like, excuse? And they said, hey, we don't really know who you are, but we assume that you're, uh, you're, uh, you're friends over there because you said that someone might be coming. We'd love you to stick around. Stay around and uh, eat lunch with us. Uh, and as I stayed around, people would come up and they would introduce themselves. And I've never genuinely felt so immediately welcome into family. Now, this is going to be their family day, but there was no sense of awkwardness around it. There was no sense of forcedness around it. This was a community of people who genuinely wanted people there. And so I started speaking to one of these people and around what he did and uh, who he was and, and how great the day was uh, and so on. He just says, listen, we just want as many people here. We've been limited to 30. Some people have gone, so it's great that you can be here. We want as many people here to share with as we possibly can. I'm so glad that you turned up. We're so glad to meet you. And so I said to him, I said, hey, that's great. Like, thank you so much. I feel so welcome. Uh, how do you guys know the, the bride and groom? And he says, oh, no, I am the groom. And at that point, I was amazed that at this point, he genuinely was interested in my life. He was uh, asking me questions and he was choosing to spend the day after his wedding speaking to a complete stranger, cooking me a burger. It was an amazing experience of genuine hospitality. There were some informal speeches and before each one, they'd say, hey, we have a new person with us, uh, Johnny. And Johnny, this is going to be great for you because this will give you an opportunity to learn about these people that we love. It was genuine hospitality. It wasn't a display whereby I would think better of them. It was an offering whereby they would know that I was loved by them. This is genuine hospitality. And just like our superhero stories point back to a greater narrative, Abraham's story points forward to Jesus, a man who genuinely wanted good hospitality, a man who would eat around other people's homes, a man who would invite the lost, who would invite the vulnerable. And so I want to offer you a challenge as we finish today, a challenge that I want you to take on. Now, chances are a challenge that many of you probably won't partake in, but some of you will. And for those of you who do, it will offer an environment, offer an opportunity into your life that might cause miracles to happen, that might go beyond yourself. I want you to reach out to someone in a way that warns them to the point where it makes you feel uncomfortable. Reach out to someone in a way that warms them, that makes them feel welcome and embraced and brought in closer than they thought possible to a point that it makes you feel uncomfortable, to a point where it makes you feel, oh man, this just isn't done, to a point where it makes you think, man, like 80 loaves of bread, like 60 pounds of flour, like uh, a whole cattle for strangers, like really? Whilst I'm in a place where I really should be sitting in my tent in the heat of the day, uh, to a point where I'm not in a position where I should be hurrying and running around. 
to a place which makes you feel uncomfortable. Reach out to someone in a way that warms them to a point that makes you feel uncomfortable. It's that that gives you a character whereby you are invited into a storyline where you can become the hero you were always intended to be. That's all for this week. Thanks once again for joining us. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so why not check out Forge Church UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram? Or go online at forgechurch.com where you can watch other content, find a next step, give financially, or see any details of what's currently going on in and around the fort. We're looking forward to you joining us next time.